So Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. If we're in Christ, then a new life is given to us. And we therefore live that new life. We live in a new way. And we're going to look this morning at from verses 8 through to 14, where Paul continues to answer that question, saying it again, looking at the implications of being joined to Christ, being in Christ. And as we've seen before, Paul is not embarrassed about repeating himself. Paul is not embarrassed about repeating himself. I say it again, because Paul keeps saying things again. And he knows that we need to hear things again and again before the penny drops. And so he's working through slowly, just saying the same thing, looking at it from different angles, because it's all so important. This is the Christian gospel. Paul has begun this letter by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power for the salvation of everyone who believes. He's enthusiastic. He's enthusiastic not just because he loves the book, but he knows what it does in people's lives. And he wants them to get hold of it. And I want us to get hold of it. I want me to get hold of it. And so we look at these things again. Now he says... In verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul is concerned that we should get hold of it. He's concerned that these things should change our lives. But here, instead of looking at us, he looks at Jesus. And he focuses in again on what Jesus has done. If we're going to understand what it means to be a Christian, we must begin with Christ, we must focus in on him, and we must understand what he has done, who he is and what he's done. If we don't get that straight, we're not going to get anything else straight. So Paul He's talking about this whole thing of living in Christ. And he comes to, well, let's look again at what Jesus has done. And he says, verse 10, he says, The death he died, he died to sin once for all. He died to sin. What does that mean? Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never, it's amazing, Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer, but not once did his prayer take this form, Father, I am so sorry. That forms a lot of my praying, 
But it never did for Jesus. He never had anything to say sorry about. He never had any sin to confess. He never needed to ask God to help him to get it right next time. He lived in perfect agreement with his Father's will. But he voluntarily identified himself with us. And the Bible says he became sin. He became sin for us. He took our guilt as if it was his guilt. And in effect, in God's sight, he becomes a sinner. And as a sinner, he comes under the power of sin and more particularly the penalty of sin. Those who sin will die. And Jesus died. He died as a sinner under the wrath of his father against sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried. He's a sinner and a holy God turns away in wrath and wrath comes on Jesus. He died. He died to sin. He died to sin once for all. Now, I've just said it. And we know that's the gospel. We know that's Christian doctrine. But woe betide us if we just get the facts straight without getting the, the weight of it. We don't, we're not amazed every time we consider it. How, how, how do you sing some of the songs that we sing when we sing about Jesus dying in our place, when we, we sing about what he's done for us, does it move you still? The painful cost. You can say it simply, he died to sin. But what did that mean? The sinless son of God suddenly encountering the filth of our sin and encountering the anger of God when his father had always said, this is my son in whom I delight. Suddenly a sinner pain of what he did because he loved you and he loved me he died to sin and it says once for all once for all the jesus is died and never died again it was something that was never needed to be repeated and it's important we get hold of this for how we're going to see how paul works that out later on but jesus's death was a once for all death never needing to be repeated. One sacrifice for all time. Indeed, we had a reading about that uh, earlier on uh, from out of Hebrews. And yet Jesus died in our place, taking our sin once for all, never needing to repeat that. And it goes on to say, or it says it just before then, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Death no longer has mastery over him because death did master him, obviously. When he's nailed on the cross, when he's hanging there, he's hanging there as a sinner, he died. Death overcame him. Death mastered him. At the resurrection, he mastered death. A once-for-all death, and death no longer has mastery over him. Again, an important fact that Paul is going to build on in just a moment. He really died, death mastered him, he rose again, defeating death. And he, his resurrection, it speaks of here, it says in verse 9, we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Jesus didn't raise himself, he was raised from, the, from, from death. 
the Father raised him. It says in verse 4 here, God, Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. God sees what his Son has done. The Father is satisfied. The divine plan that Father, Son, and Spirit had devised and worked through, it has succeeded. And the Father raises him from the dead Sin is dealt with, the sacrifice is complete, a once for all dealing with sin. By the resurrection, Jesus had finished with the law, he had finished with sin, he had finished with death. He had lived his life in obedience to the law of God. He had taken our sin and become a sinner, and death has mastered him. At the resurrection, He is no longer involved with the law. He is no longer involved with sin. And he's no longer involved with death. And so it says uh, in verse uh, 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. He died to sin. He was relating with our sin and died. Now, That's behind him. All of that, the law, sin, and death, is the other side of the resurrection as he looks back. It's dealt with. It's finished with. Now, since the resurrection, he lives to God, relating with God, knowing God, back with God at the Father's right hand. All of that that was involved in identifying with our sin passed. No further involvement with sin. Now, purely holy, living for God. That's what happened to Christ. That's what he has done. And Paul focuses in on that in verses 8 through to 10. If we're going to understand this new life in Christ, we need to understand what Christ has done, what it means to be in him. Now, the point is, verse 8 If we died with Christ, and that's what Christ's death meant, we believe we will also live with him. We're in Christ. He is identified with us. The death he died was for us. The life he lives is for us. We are involved in both. We died with him. We will also live with him. Now, when it says we will live with him, it's pointing into the future. We will live eternally with him. We know we are mortal, this body will die, but we're also immortal, we will live with him forever. That's true, but that's not what the passage is talking about. The passage is talking about life now. We believe we will also live with him. We will live eternally with him, but we'll also live with him now. There's a difference in our lives He was mastered by death. The resurrection ended that. We were mastered by sin. His resurrection ended that. We're in him. He was relating with sin and death. The resurrection dealt with it completely. We've lived in a life of sin and death. The resurrection deals with it completely. What he did was once for all, Now he lives to God. What Paul is saying is, and we're involved in that. Sin's power, the penalty and power of sin, dealt with once for all when Jesus died, and now we are free to live to God. He was involved with the law. He was involved with sin. He was involved in death. 
Through the resurrection, he now lives totally for God, no longer relating with law, sin, and death. And that's our position. That is the gospel. That's what it's all about. So Paul looks, first of all, what happened to Christ. Now he says, this also happened to us. It happened when Jesus did it. Where in him that has happened to us. And that has huge implications. And so verse 11, he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. At verse 11, something happens in this letter for the very first time. And you might not spot it, but there's something in verse 11 that has not happened before in Romans. And since you probably can't guess what it is, I'll tell you. This is the first time in the letter that Paul actually tells us to do something. For six and a half chapters, he has been setting out the gospel. And only here, at chapter 6, verse 11, does he now tell us to do something. Now, that's important. It's important because before we start applying the truth, we need to know the truth. Before we respond to the truth, there's got to be something to respond to. And Paul has laid it in, layer upon layer, working it through, explaining it for six and a half chapters. And it's if he stands back and he thinks, I think maybe now they're ready to see the implications. Now they're ready to act on it. Doctrine always comes before application. And we need to get hold of the truth and say, yeah, I now see it. I see this plan that was from all eternity. I understand that the, the prophets always spoke about this. The law spoke about this. It was there all the way from the beginning. This was always God's intention. I understand how Jesus came in fulfillment of that eternal plan. I'm beginning to see what he did. I'm beginning to see and what he did was for the whole world, not just for Israel, but for Jew and Gentile. I'm beginning to get the picture, beginning to see how the law was always pointing forward to this. And that in the fullness of time, Jesus comes and does something amazing. So now there is good news for the whole world. I'm seeing how this maybe touches my life. When we've got hold of that, then in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. We need to understand the truth before ever we can act upon it. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 7, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Knowing comes before doing. Before we do it, we've got to know it. Have we got hold of it? Have we really understood, as far as it's possible for a human being to understand, just what the death and resurrection of Jesus is all about. Historical fact, something that happened, what's it about? If, as far as it's possible to understand it, we've got hold of it, then it's ready to start saying, therefore, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. That word count it's a good translation because it is a, a term in Greek about adding up. And it's as if Paul is saying, right, six and a half chapters, add it up. What does it come to? 
What's the result? Do the maths. What does this all add up to? What it adds up to is we're dead to sin. He died to sin. What Jesus did involves me. But then, of course, that gives rise to a question. What on earth does it mean for me? What on earth does it it mean for you to be dead to sin? And that's a little expression that has been often lifted right out of the context and interpreted in all kinds of very unhelpful ways. Some people have understood that. If I'm dead to sin, it must mean I am immune to sin. And the way they reason is this. Someone who has died, who is lifeless, their body is there, they're no longer being tempted. You can't tempt them with anything, they will never respond. If may be, to use the illustration I've used before of the, the cream donuts, which is, oh, I wish I hadn't said that, because again, it's lunchtime and I'm hungry, but anyway. If you use the illustration of the cream donut, show a cream donut to a corpse, his mouth won't water. No response, whatever. Insult him, he won't react. And it's often said, and we are dead to sin. So temptation no longer affects us. We will never respond. We are now entirely holy. We are dead to sin. The problem with that is we are still in physical bodies. And an even greater problem is the Bible doesn't say that anyway. Because it goes on to say, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Clearly, we're not immune to sin. No, as long as I'm in a physical body, my body will respond in ways that I don't want it to, and I've got to control it. I'm in a physical body. I'm also in Christ, and there are these two parts to me. And sin will still tempt me, but I'm in Christ. That's the tension that we live with. No, we're not immune. Then what does it mean? dead to sin. Well, it's not make-believe either. It's not keep telling yourself that you're dead to sin, and sooner or later, you'll come to believe it. That's total unreality. I mean, just imagine that you were incredibly ugly. Great stretch of imagination for most of you. No, not for all of you. Imagine, imagine you're incredibly ugly, and You have to look in the mirror and you just tell yourself, I am really beautiful. I am really attractive. And you you keep saying that. Maybe you, you stick a label over the mirror, beautiful, and you look at it and you keep telling yourself. Well, if you come to believe it, it's not true. (laughs) You're still ugly. And, and just saying thing over, something over and over again doesn't make it true. It's total unreality and you're being just brainwashed. Count yourselves dead to sin. This is talking about unreality. Some people take it that way. That they live in a kind of unreality. They call it making the right confession. Saying something and if you keep saying it, you'll come to believe it. But this is talking about reality. It's not talking about being unreal. Neither is it mind over matter. Count yourself dead to sin. Right. If I believe it enough, then it will become true. If I believe it enough, I'll be able to live like that. If that were what it meant, then 
successful Christian life is only for the strong willed. You've got to be able to believe it enough. But what if you're weak willed? Many people are. Is there no good news for the weak willed? You've got to really believe this before it be true. No, the gospel is for everyone. So what does it mean? Well, it's talking about what Jesus did. Jesus did not, as it were, become immune to sin. He didn't get into unreality. He died to the penalty of sin. And because he dealt with the penalty of sin, he was no longer under the power of sin. We died to sin. Its penalty is dealt with. Its power, its authority over my life is taken away. It's still there. I am still in a human body that can respond, but I'm not bound to respond anymore. I'm also in Christ. This is talking about fact. Unless what it says here is actually true, these words are very cruel. It's a bit like saying to a prisoner, now don't live like a prisoner. Don't live like a prisoner. Live like a free person. Well, he's a prisoner. However, if someone comes out of prison, then you would say to them, don't live like a prisoner, because now they're free not to. But it'd be a bit like also someone's drowning, and you yell to them, swim to safety. That's all you need to do. It's cruel. If they could do that, they wouldn't be drowning. This is not cruelty saying, count yourself dead to sin yeah, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm too weak-willed, I can't do it. This is talking about fact. It is saying Jesus did it, you're in him, this is true. Because it's true, now live in the light of the truth. What does it mean to live in the light of the truth? You see, we, we've got to get hold of it. Very few people have an ideal childhood. Some children are spoilt rotten. Some children are the apple of their parents' eye. Their parents' life is designed to revolve around the children. Whatever the children want, they get spoilt rotten. They grow up into totally objectionable... Some of you are identifying with this. They grow up into totally objectionable adults where they eat too much. They drink too much. They stay up too late. They spend too much. They, they, they lose their temper too often. There's no restraint ever been built in. Then what does it say? Count yourself dead to sin. How can someone who has been trained to be a slob, I didn't look at anyone then, I looked at my notes. How can someone who's been trained to live like that be different? My, They're never going to have the willpower because they've been trained never to exercise any willpower. They've been trained from their upbringing to just live like that. Some people have not been sport rotten. They've just been never trained at all. Now, this is a gospel for everyone. How can someone who's lived like that ever be holy? That's what God wants, a holy people. It's not going to happen through willpower. It's not going to happen through make-believe. It's not going to happen through mind over matter. It's going to happen by believing through faith, believing what Jesus did and knowing this is true.
I died to sin. The the penalty I deserve has been taken away. Therefore, sin's power over me that dominated me from birth. But now there is no more power over me. I am free. I'm out of the prison. I'm free to live not as a prisoner anymore. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus has finished with the law, with sin and death. He now is alive to God, living purely for God. That is possible for me. That is possible for you. That is what Jesus has opened to you. And that is what it means to be a Christian. Not struggling always with failure. Not being defeated. Not being careless. But now free to live for God. Well, how does that work out? Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That's not true. That's a cruel thing to say. But it's true. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body for this simple reason. It doesn't reign anymore. It doesn't. Sin is no longer our master because sin is no longer mastering Jesus. Jesus is no longer involved with sin. He dealt with it. Now we're in him and sin's hold over us. Well, temptation is still there. But we are free, legally, actually, factually free to simply say no. It isn't mind over matter. It's not strong willpower. The weakest will person can say no because it's true. It's true. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. It is still a mortal body. Mortal means it's destined to die. Yeah, the body is unchanged, it is mortal, but it doesn't rule me, I now rule it, because I am in Christ. And furthermore, my body is mortal, but I am immortal. I have got eternal life, so have you, if you're in Christ. Your body is mortal, you are immortal, so get the bigger picture. We're here on planet Earth. Well, the Bible speaks of three score years and ten. Now, because of all sorts of developments, you're likely to live. Do you know this? The average age now, you're you're likely to live, failing accidents or whatever, at least about 90. Grim thought. Anyway, a, a lifespan on Earth. But in contrast with eternity, mortal but immortal. How I live for my time on planet Earth. Well, I'm not going to allow how I live for these few years to mess up eternity. I want how I live on planet Earth to prepare me for eternity. You don't have to mess up your eternity by being careless now. We can deal with these things. Yeah, we're mortal but we're also immortal. We've got a mortal body, but we're in Christ and we'll live forever. So let's deal with this mortal body. Don't, and so it goes on. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Yes, it still has evil desires. It's still unchanged, but I'm changed. I am not my body. My body will die. I will not. I will live forever 
And therefore, the evil desires are there, but I deal with them. I say, no, it's not, I'm stronger. No, I know my position. I can simply say no. And then it goes on. So don't offer the parts of your body to sin. It's like now you are a free agent. Now there is sin tempting you and there is the Spirit of God wooing you and you are free. I am free to decide which way do I go. I can either, what a graphic expression, say to sin, here's my body, I want to serve you. What a crazy thing to say. If you're living in the light of eternity, you don't want to mess up your eternity with a few things here. Sin is saying, come on, come on, come on, do this. Lose your temper, get irritable, be full of self-pity. Just watch that film you know you shouldn't watch. Say those things you know you shouldn't say. Say, yeah, here I am, I'll do it. No, 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 no. You simply say, no, I follow the Spirit. Not mind over matter, not strong will, just knowing your position. Knowing what Jesus has done and believing it, receiving it by faith. Don't offer the parts of your body. Don't volunteer to serve sin. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Know your position. I was in sin and death. I'm now in life. Jesus has died and risen again. And so, offer the parts of your body to him as wonderful thought instruments of righteousness. Instead of being ashamed of what I do, I can serve God. So can you. Instruments of righteousness where you work. Instruments of righteousness in your home. Instruments of righteousness when you're on your own and no one is seeing what you're doing. Instruments of righteousness. And that's the, that's the position. Who do you offer yourself to? Because we're no longer prisoners. For sin shall not be your master. Because you're not under law, but under grace. No longer under sin's master, because Jesus isn't. And we're not under law, because Jesus isn't. He's dealt with all of that. We're in the grace of God. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? No, you just haven't understood. You have not understood. Grace means we're in Christ and we live for righteousness. Do you see it? Well, it's vital that we do. It's vital that we do because while we are in this mortal body, we are affecting our eternity because we are immortal. What happens with our eternity? God wants a a holy people. And the Bible tells us that if we don't deal with our mortal body, God might. If we don't deal with sin, if we offer the parts of our body to sin, if we voluntarily do that and we don't deal with it, God just might deal with it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Paul is writing to a church. He calls them worldly, carnal. They're living according to the flesh. They're not dealing with the flesh. They're just indulging it. And so Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 
and verse 30, that's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep, meaning a number of you have died. But if we judged ourselves, he says, we would not come under judgment. When we're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. God's got an eye on eternity. God's equipping us for eternity. God has made everything possible for us to live holy lives. It's not only for the strong-willed, it's for anyone. It's not only for those who have been brought up well, it's for those who have been brought up rotten. But for anyone, the worst sinner possible, this is good news. We can have a break with our past. We can live a new life. But having come into Christ, if we don't deal with things, God just might. Because he does. Because he's looking at eternity. And he wants a holy people. Of course, if we don't come into Christ, if we don't believe in him, God will deal with it. The wages of sin is death. And the prospects for eternity don't bear thinking about. But that's where we're heading. And God has made it possible for us to enjoy him now, know him now, so that we just go on enjoying him. And we go on knowing him. Death, well, it's falling asleep. And we're with him forever. An unbroken chain of just knowing God. That's what we've been called to. If our view of Christianity is not that, then we need to go back to Romans chapter 1 and go through to 6.11 again. Work through again and again and again until we've actually got hold of it. This is what it's about. It's not just about going to church on Sundays. It's not just about a few Christian activities. It is a new life. Jesus' life after the resurrection, totally different. And that's what we're called to. We're in Christ. Has the penny dropped yet? Have you got it? You're going to believe. Are you ready for the therefore? Is it, you think, yes, I've understood now. See what Jesus did. It's, it's lights dawning. And I'm in him. Therefore, I can deal with those things. I can deal with that tendency to be irritable, to be selfish. I can deal with that tendency just to be greedy and self-indulgent and undisciplined. I can deal with my prayerlessness. I can deal with my anger. I can deal with lust. I can deal with whatever. Because Jesus has dealt with it. And I'm in him. And I believe it. So I'm walking out of the prison. I'm going to offer my body now for righteousness. Where before I've offered it to shame. You got it? That's the gospel. Let's pray.